0: This is Ella Kate Maurice, and you are listening to More Than Child's Play with your host, my mommy Lacey Morici,
1: and my aunt Nicole Surgeon. They're authors, therapists, and most importantly, mommies. And man, can they talk! So sit back and relax and learn from their village. We hope you enjoy the show.
0: everybody, and welcome to More Than Child's Play podcast. This is your host, Lacey Morisi, pediatric speech language pathologist, and this episode is about a topic area that is very personal to me and one that I'm very excited to um, discuss and share with you along with our guest today, Jeanette Washington. Welcome, Jeanette. Why, thank
1: you so much. (laughs) You're
0: welcome. So Jeanette Washington, MED, has worked as a speech and language pathologist, software engineer, and educator. She empowers those with special abilities to pursue employment in the tech industry. Jeanette's love for technology is documented in her book, Technical Difficulties, Why Dyslexic Narratives Matter in Tech. Currently, she works within the intersection of technology, accessibility, and social justice. I discovered Jeanette on that crazy, wild, wonderful world of Instagram, and I was drawn to her account because I could tell from some of the things she was posting and sharing that she was a speech and language pathologist. So she shares lots of good information about communication development and strategies and building um, expressive language, especially as ones I've noticed. You have these cute little graphics um, I love with, um, age of sound development norms and age that sounds should come in. I mean, she has tons of cute graphics. You have that wonderful graphic that I would love, love, love. I've saved it in every account I can save it in that um, def- kind of breaks down what a morpheme is, a grapheme. Ah, yes. Oh, I love that one. It just yeah. it makes it so easy to understand. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so I was very drawn to her Instagram account from the information she was sharing. She also shares a lot of good information about dyslexia, executive functioning skills accommodations in schools technology assistive technology I mean just wonderful 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 stuff so if you don't already follow her on Instagram make sure you do and her handle is at barely articulating and barely is b-e-a-r-l-y right Jeanette
1: yes you are right okay good
0: so I'll re- we'll repeat that at the end too, but I just wanted to put that out there in the beginning. So I reached out to Jeanette. I asked her to come on the podcast. We had a few years back a previous episode kind of um, introducing early literacy skills, explaining what dyslexia is, kind of what to look for in older kids. And I wanted Jeanette to join us to talk more about some of those early signs of dyslexia in the younger kiddos, you know, we can identify dyslexia much sooner than school. We can, we can identify it earlier if we know what to look for at young ages, even preschool, sometimes even toddler ages. So Jeanette's going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about um, executive functioning skills and what those are and how um, we can be looking that for in toddlers and preschoolers that those skills are developing and how we can help those skills develop and why those skills are so important. So again, both areas that are um, very interesting to me on a personal note and a professional note, because this is a great information for early intervention practitioners to know and be aware of to share with the families we serve, and then great information for families to know as they work to help and advocate for their child. So, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get down to it. So. So, Jeanette, you and I know that because we have an understanding of dyslexia as professionals now, that dyslexia is really misunderstood um, in general by by the majority of the population. I myself didn't really know anything about dyslexia until my son was diagnosed with it. I knew a little bit, you know, from my background as a, an SLP, but I still thought it was something with vision, seeing letters backwards, writing letters backwards. That was about all I knew, and I mean I'm I'm embarrassed to admit that, but it's just the truth. I worked in the EI. I didn't think I needed to worry about that, and then boom, I had a kiddo that was diagnosed. So, Scooby, so you give us a better a a a friendly definition to help everyone understand what dyslexia is, and really how how complicated
1: and and how how many layers there are to it. Okay, absolutely. I'd be happy to um, give you all a brief breakdown of what dyslexia is. When I think of it, I tend to look at the etymology of it and um, it helps me as I am defining it to understand or to acknowledge that dyslexia and lexia are Greek words, meaning um, difficulty and language. So it's a lifelong language-based learning difference or difficulty, and it's often called a disorder. So you'll hear some people say, um, you know, speech and language disorder or language based learning disorder. But all in all, it's genetic. It represents a spectrum of severity and it compromises a child's or an adult's writing, reading, listening, and speaking. You will see it annotated on IEPs as SLD sometimes based on the district, based on the state. Um, they identify it as a specific learning disorder. So the hallmark of dyslexia is difficulty with associating letters and sounds, which inevitably impact all of the things I mentioned, um, writing, reading, listening, and speaking. So you mentioned um, about like seeing the words backwards and thinking that it was maybe a vision disorder. I think those are very common misconceptions. What we find is that individuals are um, spending so much energy on trying to read and trying to decode that a lot of times they start manifesting the letters in different ways. And so that is why you will see um, people describe it as seeing words upside down, backwards, or in reverse, because um, individuals are really spending and exerting so much energy into reading that sometimes they're making themselves, um, I won't say dizzy, but they're kind of putting themselves out there to an extent where some um, discrepancies are um, out there in the world and out and about in those uh, letters
0: (laughs) right and the cog I mean for for children who are you know have dyslexia the cognitive energy the Mm -hmm. mental capacity they have to exert to (laughs) decode the words on the page into the words into the sentences into the story that that cognitive fatigue occurs and then that makes sense right I mean when we do anything extra exert when we exert extra energy into any activity that we're doing and we do it for so long uh, parts of our bodies start to do wacky things too right so that I like how you explain that because the vision piece is there there's something sometimes with you know seeing things differently but that's not the only characteristic so Great. and and just like you explained I knew it had to do with reading but I never put the pieces together that it, you know until my son again had to do with it would also affect his spelling it would also affect mm-hmm. speaking you know like mm-hmm. I never thought oh word retrieval like attaching mm-hmm. sound to letters you know yes. um, so yeah all of that made sense and hindsight's 2020 20, I can see how that all evolved for him from toddlerhood forward but um, that was a great definition, thank you. So mm-hmm. it, it's way more than just seeing letters upside down or backwards. Um, it's a much more involved language um, disorder, as some people like to call it. So thank you for that definition. So when are children most commonly diagnosed
1: with dyslexia? So statistically, 92% of those who um, can be identified as having dyslexia are between the ages of 5.5 and 6.5. So it's easier to detect as they get older. However, there are um, signs and indicators as early as one to two years of age.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. Well, we're going to have to talk about those. So... Yeah. I don't know that I, I knew that it was that young. We could see some signs. So, okay. So yeah. share with us some of those early indicators, early signs and symptoms that we might. Okay.
1: So some early indicators, as you stated would be um, four and I'm going to look at that 5.5 to 6.5 age range, because I know they have that 92% mm-hmm. um, area of identification. So I'll say some easy signs hallmarks indicators would be that they would spell phonetically and inconsistently mm-hmm. um, they could read or reread with little comprehension um, there's difficulty putting thoughts into words i know we were talking about those word retrieval disruptions like they will know the word think the word but saying the word there's a disconnect somewhere in their process of actually saying it. And um, something that I found very intriguing when I have worked with dyslexic individuals is that they have trouble with copying, writing and copying, Like, So you'll write something on the board, it can be short, it can be long, but you'll write something and then you will ask them to rewrite that same something and it would be such an arduous task or they would get frustrated. And for me, um, before I even really understood what dyslexia was, I was like, what's going on here? Like, is this laziness? Is this like, you know, some some type of a behavioral component that's happening? But it was never any of those. So it was actually very enlightening when I began my journey with learning about dyslexia that I saw that this has nothing to do with, um, with behavior or laziness. It was more about the fact that they were having trouble with writing and copying. So,
0: yes, I know that a lot of children with dyslexia have dysgraphia too, and that's that writing piece that can be tricky for them. So kind of, that would probably be the piece that accounts for that difficulty with the the copying of something, um, that mm-hmm. breakdown between there. Okay. So those are some of the things we look for in that n- when 92% of the, of the kiddos are diagnosed between 5.5 mm-hmm. and 6.5. So what are right. some earlier signs before age five?
1: Okay. So the earliest signs, as I stated, of dyslexia can emerge around one to two years old when children first learn to make sounds. Um, children who don't say their first words until 15 months of age, um, or their first phases into two years of age, have a higher risk of um, developing or showcasing dyslexia. So for our kiddos in that early intervention stage, we are looking for um, their ability to learn and make sounds. And if they're not doing that um, in a typical or an average milestone basis, um, un- until about 15 months of age, then we can, we can start to see, you know, those flags. And I don't want to necessarily call them red flags, but we are getting those indicators that show us like, hey, something more could be on the horizon. Take a further look. Yes,
0: for sure. Yes. Okay. So that might be one of the first things that mm-hmm.
1: brings us also, to our mind. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, let's like, see. I also think about um, like family history. You know, that's certainly a large component of dyslexia because as I stated upon, you know, defining it, it is genetic. Mm -hmm. So if there is a parent who struggled with reading, writing, speaking, and listening and and all of those (laughs) great things, then it is likely that they will have a child that struggles in that capacity as well. And we know that dyslexia is really just starting to be something that we're talking openly about so maybe if your parents were born in the 70s or the 80s that wasn't really and maybe even the earlier part of the 90s that wasn't really something that we were able to label and put a name on so they may have gone undiagnosed and i think that's what we see a lot um, of children with dyslexia and you know you know that it has that genetic component And mom and dad are saying, well, you know, I don't I don't think I have it or, you know, brother and sister or anything doesn't have it. So there's that um, that anomaly like hmm, it still could be genetic,
0: just undiagnosed, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. So don't write it off if grandpa (laughs) didn't get a diagnosis or if dad or mom doesn't have a diagnosis, it could still be a possibility. Okay. anything else we can look for in those young ages or watch for?
1: I would say, um, I would say those are some really, really great uh, indicators there. Just that family history um, and whether they are having trouble with learning and making those speech sounds, that's going to be really, really important at that time.
0: What about, um, and I'm not sure about this, so correct me if if I'm wrong, is it difficult for children who have dyslexia or maybe don't have that diagnosis yet to remember the months of the year or recite like memorized things like that? Do they have a more difficult time doing that?
1: So um, there are some other indicators that I could mention that would make sense, like being unable to recognize rhyming patterns. Yes. um, Mispronouncing familiar words or, you know, kind of using baby talk a little further beyond that uh, time frame where baby talk is acceptable, um, as you stated, um, having issues with remembering months of the year, having problems learning and remembering the names of letters in the alphabet, um, difficulty learning the words to common nursery songs, mm-hmm. um, being unable to recognize the letters of their own name. And that's something I've seen um, on so many, so many occasions where the child is unable to recognize the letters of their name. And usually, what's happening is the teacher is modeling or providing them with um, information, an exemplar of their name on a regular basis, and they're still unable to recognize it. So, you're just like, hmm, what's really going on up here? Right.
0: Yeah. Cause that recognizing their name, definitely they do that in preschool, but even mm-hmm. before that, if they're in a daycare, they might, you know, their name might be above their little cubby mm-hmm. where they put their lunchbox and backpack and coat or whatever. So that, yeah, that recognize their name, kiddos have exposure to that really early on. So after, mm-hmm. you know, a couple years of that, if they're still not getting it, that certainly could be concerning. I remember with my son, um, you know, my daughter was born first and, she does not have dyslexia and then when he came along he talked a little bit later than her but still within the normal range so i wasn't worried about that you know no indication of of being a late talker but then as he got into the preschool years um he wasn't interested in learning his letters at all wasn't interested in singing his abcs you know had trouble reciting the days of the week learning them in preschool but I kept, and I would talk to friends about it. I talked to my mom about it. Everybody, you know, he's a boy. He just likes to run and play and jump and kick and be silly. You know, it's okay. It's okay. And I just kept pushing it back in my mind too, kind of, you know, giving that justification to myself. Oh, he's a boy. He'll learn. He'll, he's just not ready. The brain isn't ready to learn to read until six years of age. Someone told me, so I, you know, hung my hat on that, on that hook for a while. Like, you know, like he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Um, but the 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 thing that, and I don't know if it was just timing or so much repetition, um, you know. And I I was strict with screen time. My kids didn't get a lot of screen time at that time as to, as preschool toddler age, but he finally learned his letter sounds from this leapfrog video, the letter factory. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or familiar, but. I think what clicked was it was visual, but it was also sensory. It had movement and all the sounds did a silly movement and made their sound while they did their dance. And so he was able to imitate that. So it made those letters come alive for him. It wasn't just something that was, you know, one dimensional on the paper or on the poster at preschool or whatever. So I really, I, you know, that was very eye opening to me at the time, but again, i, I I, dyslexia was not on my radar yet, but, but again, you know, when he got his diagnosis later in second grade and I sat for a minute and, and looked back on his language development on how, you know, he developed those preschool skills, um, those literacy skills, I started seeing things that made sense, you know, but again, I didn't know. So.
1: Absolutely. I can certainly understand. Um, and I will say that it is such a um, unfortunate event that when um, people, are told to, to wait and see, you yeah. know? Um, because <laughs> that can truly be detrimental. I think that as parents, we definitely have to tap into our um, intuition more um, because we will take all the unsolicited advice and do all the things when in our heart of hearts, <laughs> we yeah. need to just, just listen. Yes. To um, you know what we believe to be true, so I would just kind of make that that a uh, statement because I know so many parents, and even because I do a lot of work in um, foreign countries or or world countries, because I don't really like stand but <laughs> and I will find that there is a whole lot of wait and see, wait and see, and yes. that's never uh, something that I would stand behind. Yes.
0: And, you know, with much respect, teachers teach all types of learners at all different levels, right? And if they aren't educated on dyslexia or don't really feel comfortable recognizing those early indicators, they may not see it as that as soon as the parent might see it as that. So, you know, I always encourage parents, educate yourself feel empowered to advocate for your child if you need to um, don't wait for somebody for for things to go south or for thing you know for the kiddo to fall behind a grade level in reading a couple grade levels in reading go ahead and you know advocate and try to get them to take a closer look if you feel like something else is going on because again I love deeply respect teachers but certainly Just like in the world of speech-language pathology, they've got so much on their plate, right? There's so many things they're trying to look at. There's so many kiddos they're trying to help and and reach. And um, so, yeah, parents, learn as much as you can. Advocate for your kiddo. Never be afraid to do that. So, okay. All right, so... (laughs) <laughs> Talk about some of those early signs. Uh, I'm, I mean, I, amazing that we can see some of those early indicators as young as a year, one year old. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's awesome. And just a good thing to be aware of. So dyslexia, it, it often coexists with other diagnoses, other learning challenges, um, learning differences. What, I know you can't name them all, but what are some of the more common diagnoses that exist alongside of dyslexia that you see?
1: Well, you mentioned one earlier, um, and it was dysgraphia. That is a common coexistence um, between the two. Um, also, this, um, dyscalculia, um, we can see ADHD. Um, and with that, there's about a 60% chance that if someone has dyslexia, they also have that particular comorbidity of ADHD. And um, I want to say those are some of the more common. Is also there is a strong correlation between dyslexia symptoms and deficits in short-term memory and executive functioning. So a whole lot happening there. Um, I would say probably the most, the two that you'll see the the most would be executive functioning and ADHD, though.
0: Okay. And can you explain, we talked about what dysgraphia is, and that's um, difficulty with the actual, you know, task of writing and Mm -hmm. getting um, information
1: onto the page. Explain quickly what dyscalculia is. So dyscalculia is going to be basically the same as dyslexia, but with math. So think of having issues with computing numbers, understanding processes, um, gaining foresight into exactly how these different um, equations work. So it's really deeply rooted in, in math. And um, that is something that is uh, pretty pretty popular um, within those with dyslexia. So you will see a lot of dyscalculia and um, I actually have an assessment. Well, it was more like a screener for it where I had to do some research on um, exactly what people with this Calculia experience and again it's it's basically understanding the steps in the math process they may not understand when they're looking like what needs to be done next they have issues with transposing numbers and overall they um just struggle with uh computation okay and then you mentioned ADHD attention Deficit, deficit hyperactivity disorder yes yes deficit. and that has a, a really large prevalence and um i was talking to a good friend of mine today and i was saying you know adhd is really starting to be um, i mean it probably always has been but i think the pandemic has certainly heightened up the the um th- what we're seeing you know because i think some people were able to mask it a bit better but when you were at home and you're working from home and it's just a lot of distractions, a lot of inattentiveness happening there. And um, one of my good friends, she was just diagnosed as an adult with ADHD. So it's, it's really starting to be um, the the water cooler conversation, so to speak. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yes. And that, and it's a lifelong thing too. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. There is medication that some people will say it's helpful for them in that regard. Um, then there are some different coping mechanisms people use. So it's kind of one of those things like choose your adventure, you know? <laughs> right, right.
0: Figure figure out what helps you the most. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, people not getting diagnosed until they're adults, yes. they would have had it their whole life, but maybe have been able to
1: cope yeah.
0: without, stand, you know, like without mm-hmm. those symptoms really standing out enough to mm-hmm. need... The, the referral to or the diagnosis. Yeah. And, and I
1: know we're talking about dyslexia and, and ADHD and a lot of comorbidities there, but I've also seen um, from my professional experience, a lot of an adults, a lot of adults being diagnosed with autism now. And I'm like, wow, this is just um, mind blowing, you know, like, cause I really would like to know what was being done, um, you know, throughout their school years. Then mm-hmm. they weren't able to get those accommodations and, and modifications like they needed to. So I know there are some horror stories out there with that regard, because now as an adult, they it got to a point where it was like at a fever pitch. They had to figure out what was happening. And then they find out, hey, you've had this lifelong um, neurodiversity all along. And you're like, what? So it I think, and, and I don't want to blame everything on the pandemic, but I will say a lot has come out because we have been isolated. I yep. will say that.
0: Yes, for sure. For sure. Yep. Okay. So you mentioned in kind of listing some of those more common comorbidities with dyslexia, you mentioned executive, ex, excuse me, executive functioning <laughs> skills as <laughs> again, being something that can coexist with dyslexia. Um, Can you elaborate and explain to us um, what executive functioning skills are and then how difficulty with these skills
1: can impact a child's learning and development? Awesome. So I would be happy to explain executive functioning skills. So simply put, it's a set of mental skills that include working memory, flexible thinking, and self-control. We use these skills every day to learn, work, and manage our day-to-day lives, but I don't know if we just know that, hey, I'm using my executive functioning skills today. So
0: <laughs> only if we're not using them, we get called Yeah, <laughs> We're
1: supposed to know how to do it and do it. <laughs> so yes, indeed, uh, trouble with executive function can make it hard to focus, follow directions, handle emotions. And those are just among some of the, the more um, common things that uh, you'll see when someone has trouble with executive functioning skills.
0: Okay, working memory, um, that's something I've seen in my own kids. I've seen my own kids struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And what Can you explain to us what working memory is, what that means and how that looks for a child if, if
1: they don't have strong working memory skills? so um absolutely i can definitely break that down um i know that working memory is part of that short-term memory and it's concerned with immediate conscious uh, and perceptual processing so that's going to be I, I will just say that if we are comparing the two working memory and short-term memory go hand in hand they are synonymous with one another so if you know about basically um kind of having that immediate memory at hand, then that's exactly what it is. Um, And I will say that it's undisputed that children with uh, dyslexia have deficits with the phonological processing and storage. And that is also correlated to that short-term memory. Um, So that's that central executive functioning and um, impairment of any of these skills can really impact the intellectual ability of someone and their language capacity. So okay, just want to kind of throw that on out there. Um, You can see some skills that would include maybe difficulty with planning and organizing, um, trouble with identifying what needs to be done and um, making things precedent. Now, I actually will say from my own experience, I, I do have trouble... With um when I'm given several different items or tasks to complete, I trump I have trouble and I struggle with what needs to be done first. So that is an executive functioning um issue right there. So problems with determining the sequence of accomplishment, and that's another thing like, all right, so, what should be accomplished on this list of lists um difficulty with carrying out steps in a orderly way uh difficulties even beginning tasks uh problems with maintaining attention um having issues with evaluating how one is doing on a task so if someone would say how are you doing you're not even able to articulate how you're doing you may not even understand whether you're doing a poor job or not, it's like, uh, so I was given all of this. And so I started doing this and, (laughs) you know, so executive functioning is, is truly, um, something that I think we don't talk enough about. Yes,
0: I would agree. And so following multi-step directions, verbal Mm -hmm. directions, Mm -hmm. that's a breakdown in working memory, correct? Like for example, uh, sometimes I'll say to my kiddo, go upstairs and put your shirt away. And when you're finished with that, you need to come back downstairs and sweep the floor. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And that second step that, again, I've said this long string of directions, but the first step might get done, but the second Mm -hmm. step gets lost in translation or he isn't able to hold it in his memory long enough Mm -hmm. to remember to do it next. So I've, you know, I've kind of learned that, 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 the, those types of directions are difficult for him because he, he doesn't mm-hmm. have the working memory challenge for him to hold all yes. that information he does better a great example. Written
1: what's that I see that's a great example of a working memory task um holding a person's um like I even think of holding a person's address in mind while listening to instructions about how to get there you know like Mm -hmm. it's a a lot happening so your son heard that first part and he's figuring out what steps he needs to take to get that first part accomplished and then you're hitting him with a whole another set of steps and he's like oh but I'm still thinking about part one and (laughs) yeah
0: exactly and that going back to what you said a few minutes ago about um you know, give, giving somebody a lot of, you know, several things to do at once, but then the difficulty in prioritizing, I see that too. And
1: that, I mean, in schoolwork, that is, wow. I mean, that's really hard. Yeah. It is. It is, But you know what I find that when we set accommodations for one student, it is usually helpful for all students. Because when we think about, let's say that age range of early um, intervention, early childhood, um, EI, um, I think about, like when we're giving them three and four and five different tasks, that's, that's quite a bit for them. So if we break it down and we're showing visuals and we're giving them step by step and we're talking to them about what's more important and we're, we're modeling for them and, and you know how important repetition is, it's just I think it'll be better for all kiddos, you that's know?
0: Accommodations for all. That's what Aww. I said <laughs> I know you say that too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It could help. It could help kiddos that have an official diagnosis or have mm-hmm. an official, you know, somebody saying they're they're struggling with executive functioning, and, mm-hmm. and the kiddos that are falling through the cracks, you know, quote, yeah. quote, um, or or a kid that's just tired that day and needs a little more visual support <laughs> to what understand what's being said. I, I I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Okay. So any specific examples how struggling with executive functioning skills might impact a toddler? So two, three, even preschool age kiddo, what what are they going to have difficulty being able to do in the preschool classroom? Or what are they going to have difficulty doing at home that maybe a same age peer might not have
1: difficulty with? So I would definitely say that, um, again, going back to um, sequence of steps. They're going to have issues with understanding and acknowledging the sequence in which you provide them steps to complete. Um, they will probably have issues with um, maintaining their um, attention to a task. Um, they will um, have issues if you ask them particularly about how they're doing with something. They may not understand how to evaluate themselves and say, oh, I'm doing well, or I don't know. So um, those would be some things that I would see mainly with that uh, younger group of kiddos, but we definitely wanna make sure we're in some, we're placing them in some growth promoting environments where we're using scaffolding. To help them practice those necessary skills um, before they perform them alone. So, we wanna make sure that um, we are, are definitely building our, our kiddos to be independent, but we're not just throwing them out there and say, do this, you saw me do it yesterday. You know, it's all about that scaffolding and that practice so that they can perform those skills alone. Um, So adults can facilitate the development of a child's executive functioning skills by establishing like routines, um, creating and maintaining supportive, reliable relationships. And going back to what I said about modeling, you want to model that behavior. You want them to see it for themselves. And and always we want to focus on repetition because that's going to be important at that early age. Yes, and how they learn best through repetition and daily routines from primary mm-hmm. caregivers and. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something earlier about having visuals mm-hmm. around. Those are like um, a, a true golden mark to have visuals handy, so they know. Um, I've seen a lot of times with uh, individuals on the autism spectrum who are using communication boards how visuals can be extremely effective and um, how schedules that are um, depicted through illustrations are really, really helpful. So even with typically developing kids or, or kids with executive functioning disorders, those type of accommodations, sort of speak, could be extremely beneficial.
0: And visuals in daily routines, I find also support independence you know, you can put, and it doesn't have to be a fancy drawing, cartoon drawing, doesn't have to be real photograph drawings, just three little steps, put toothpaste on your toothbrush, brush your teeth, put your toothbrush away. If you know, three little pictures posted on the bathroom mirror, then that kiddo can walk through those steps of brushing their teeth at two, three years old. They feel good about themselves. That's when they're craving independence anyway. So Mm -hmm. again, back to that accommodating everyone is a plus, Mm -hmm. you know, whether they're struggling with the sequence of events within the daily routine or not, it's going to help every child to just become more independent and kind of learn that, you know, how to do things themselves and within daily routines. Um, You mentioned earlier, and I just want to circle back around for a second, Mm -hmm. executive functioning skills are learned skills. Mm -hmm. Is that right? We're not born with the ability to just know how to do these things, right. It's practiced mm. over time. It's people model for us, scaffold the learning. Mm-hmm. over the time. We learn it. Some kiddos that might just take a little bit longer, they might need a little bit more support. Um, but these are learned skills. And I just wanted to circle back around because just recently I did a podcast with Michael Powell, a psychologist, and we talked about tantrums and he was saying how impulse control is a learned skill and how um, self-regulation is a learned skill. We aren't born yeah. with the ability to control our reactions, you know, Mm -hmm. toddlers are impulsive and it's because they're still learning that that skill of impulse control and yes aren't born with the ability to soothe themselves or regulate themselves when they're mm-hmm. upset. So that is also a learned skill. So I was just, I just wanted to bring that back up, That yeah, we're not born with you... all these wonderful skills that we magically, you know, it's not, it's not magic that we just yeah. grow up an and everything,
1: you know. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that back up and circled yeah. back around. These are neurobiologically based skills that involve mental control. And as you stated, self-regulation, these are not things that we are born to do. You know, we have to learn these things. So yes, that's a great point.
0: Yeah. And it's just important for us to remember that, you know, Mm -hmm. certainly we all have our days where we have less patience, but you know, (laughs) the more we know, the more we understand about the developing child, the better than we are able to support and empathize with, you know, Mm what they're going through or what they're struggling with. So um I try to share that with the families I serve as much as I can and I try to keep it in my own mind for my own children.
1: (laughs) But (laughs) I have
0: have my ups and downs, you know, we're all human. But (laughs) okay. All right. So we kind of talked about, you know, if we have a young kiddo that toddler age, preschool age is struggling with executive functioning skills, kind of how that might look in day-to-day routines. Did you have any other examples that you wanted to share
1: under that um at the top of my head. I am trying to think of some ways in which a toddler would struggle. Um, I would say, you know, I'm thinking about school. Like, and, and when I say school, I know at that age they're going to daycare. But I was a parent that made my son believe that he was going to school regardless of his age. He knew that this was school because I was preparing him for that. So even at that age of one, um, I'm thinking about ways that um, parents can. Essentially, prepare them for for daycare the next day, like knowing their schedule and and understanding what it is that will be happening throughout the day and preparing them for that. So maybe we could circle back around and I'll, I'll think a little harder on on that. Sure.
0: Well, and you mentioned too, um, attention span is something mm-hmm. you know that can kind of be an an indicator of struggling with executive functioning skills, and I think. You know, um, depending on the experience of the parent or caregiver of the child, it, it, sometimes that stands out pretty easily, you know, especially if you have a kiddo within a group of same aged peers and you notice that Johnny doesn't seem to stay with the puzzle long enough to complete it, but his other mm-hmm. friends do, or Johnny right. switches activities. He can't even get through a board book with you because he's up and moving on to something else. So I feel like that when we do notice maybe a little bit more than others, because when we get a kiddo side by side again with peers and we can kind of see the difference there, but there's right. definitely things we can do to work on that and, and help that child develop that skill as they get older. But okay. So we'll come back if you think of anything <laughs> else. Um, so again, the next question, I feel like we've talked about too, you know, how families can support the development of executive functioning skills, mm-hmm. I like mentioned, visuals are great. Yes.
1: And those growth promoting environments and, and doing um, some scaffolding. So yes, we kind of chatted about that briefly. Um, uh, I think visuals, as I stated, you I can't state it enough how important they are. So um, if you are a parent and you are not using them, you are going to need to start as soon as possible after <laughs> yeah. this is over this podcast you need to be doing some visuals and that may mean you need to go online and spend some time printing stuff out cutting it or maybe you're fancy and you can draw it yourself but
0: <laughs> oh, whatever however mm-hmm. it looks it doesn't matter as long as it serves that that purpose for the child and visuals my goodness we talk and talk about them we've done a few podcasts how they support receptive language expressive mm-hmm. language and communication now we're talking about how they support the development of executive functioning skills so yeah the the um, benefits of visuals are really endless and mm-hmm. I, again yes please when you get off here if you don't have visuals yet <laughs> <I said laughs> then hop off off this call this episode and um go make some visuals okay you
1: do it <laughs> um,
0: all right so if listeners would like to you know further their knowledge about dyslexia or about executive functioning skills in this younger population. um, Do you have any recommendations of resources, websites, continuing education courses that they could check out that you can recommend?
1: Yes. So, um, I will say two of my favorite go-to's would be, um, dyslexia help, which is ran by the university of Michigan Um, I am a Michigander, so you know that had to be my first one. Um, Then uh, Yale University has a Center for Dyslexia and Creativity, and that is a great resource as well. Um, Both are um, places where you can go online and grab information. Uh, So is Understood. Understood is, is probably one of my, definitely in my top three. Um, Understood has info about all of what we discussed, um, dyslexia, executive functioning disorders, um, or executive functioning skills, um, ADHD, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, they have articles and um, insight on all of that. And um, I just found a website uh, for Harvard University, Center on Developing Child. And they have some gems on there. So definitely check out those university sites. And then Understood is a nonprofit, if I'm not mistaken. But their information is, is rich. And um, it is certainly something that you could make great use of. Absolutely. And can we, this is, um, (laughs) this wasn't in the lineup to talk about, but
0: I saw something I think on your Instagram or your website today that um, I know you agree with me on this. So Mm -hmm. um, I just want to clarify for the audience. So there's eye reading and there's ear reading. And by ear Mm -hmm. reading, I mean, listening to books. Mm -hmm. Is one better than the other? Or are they both
1: beneficial to the child? I will say that ear reading is what is done before eye reading is even a part of the equation. So yeah. I think that ear reading is um, certainly something you want to do immediately, and yeah. then eye reading is to follow. Yes, that's the then, that's the sequential order of things. You
0: no, know, I had never <laughs> thought about that. But when we're reading to our babies and toddlers, they're listening. They're listening. They're right? listening. I, mean, I, I knew they're listening. They're listening to
1: the the prosody, they're listening to, you know, our pitch, our tone, our pauses, all of that is just being grasped by these sponges. And yes. then after that, we're doing that print awareness. So we're like using our fingers and they're seeing like, oh, the words go this way or the letters move in this direction. And then essentially we're getting them to, to b- develop those speech sounds so they can say the words. So. Yes, ear reading is um, is definitely top tier. And then next you want to focus on making sure they're able to articulate those sounds. Right. And start reading more
0: independently mm-hmm. with their eyes, of course. But mm-hmm. I, I want to encourage parents, if you have a child who who's maybe struggling to learn to read or isn't picking it up as quickly as as you know you think they should, or that they think they should, and they're becoming discouraged. Introduce audiobooks. I mean, keep them interested in listening to books and, you mm-hmm. know, learning, hearing stories, you know, and do it with them. Um, learning Ally is an online um, audiobook. They have tons of books. Um, we mm-hmm. to it. It's wonderful. But I don't want parents to ever think that ear reading or listening to audiobooks is less than.
1: No, 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 no,
0: Because kids yeah. can learn, again, they can mm-hmm. stay interested and excited about reading and books. And that's what we want. We don't want to lose that motivation for them.
1: So yes. I just want to encourage them we, to. We build the momentum by ear reading and then we carry it out by eye reading. So a lot of accommodations you'll see for um, dyslexic elementary, middle, and high school students would be that they could use audibles or audiobooks. And so a lot of times they carry over that skill set where they love to read, but they like to listen to it so that they can comprehend what is being um, said or what is happening. I, I swear by uh, audibles, that's all I really listen to. And if um, you are connected with a public library, then there is access to sites like, um, or apps like Hoopla. And it's another one. I always forget the name of it, but um, free audibles and eBooks. You said what? Tumblr, is there one? I think it it might (laughs) be on my phone, but um, it's just so irritating because I always forget the name of this one. Um, Yeah, and I don't, I'm not going to be able to find it probably while we're talking, but Hoopla. H-O-O-P-L-A is certainly one that I would highly suggest. And you can um, hop on it if you have a library card and you have access to thousands of um, audibles, eBooks, and, um, you know, resources that will help you as you are really training your child and starting with that um, love for reading by using their ears. YouTube has great educators on there that will read stories if you're having a a hard or a long night and you're like I don't feel like cracking a book open. Well crack the computer screen open and (laughs) watch somebody (laughs) read a quick short story. Um I'm I'm a fan. I certainly will sit here with my son and he is eight and we will watch somebody read to us on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful.
0: And listening to books in the car, you know Mm, um, yes. To we listen to Harry Potter in the car, we drive mm-hmm. three hours to get to grandparents' houses, and mm-hmm. um, you know, giving them something else to do and look forward to in the car, and listening to the book and working on the bring, convention. Yeah.
1: So, bring that book band in the car too. It's yeah. waiting for you. Yeah. Fresh new books. That's
0: right. That's right. Adventures. Yes, exactly. Okay, I just wanted to throw that in there because I, you know, in our experience, kind of learning about more about audio books and accessing them more often. I just want to encourage parents and just mm-hmm. to let them know it's not less than if if your child is listening to a book versus actually yeah. reading it. It's, it's, it's totally okay. Yeah. And
1: essentially learning to read starts with your ears, not with your eyes. So that's our takeaway for you. Yes, all. <laughs> I love
0: that. I never thought of it like that, but you're exactly right. I love that. Okay. So you shared those great resources with us. Where can our listeners um, reach out to you if they have a question for you, or certainly they, I know they're going to want to follow you on Instagram at barely B E A R L Y articulating, but you yes. also have a website. Can you share that with us?
1: So absolutely. And my company is called Barely Articulating and it's bear with little pandas, B-E-A-R-L-Y, articulating. And so um, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on um, Instagram and Facebook, as well as you can locate me on my website using the same information, Barely Articulating. You just need to hit that search bar, just type it in, and then you'll see some little bears and me. And then you have been, um, you know, you've located me essentially. So. <laughs> Good, track you down. Good. Track and can I
0: message you on social media? Is that the easiest Absolutely. way for you Absolutely. To-
1: yeah, I don't mind at all. I, I get, sometimes it depends. Um, like right now I think I'm not in the weeds, but uh, <laughs> sometimes I get in the weeds and I have to to pace myself answering questions. But right now I think I'm I'm free and clear. So if somebody wanted to hop in my DMs, I would be, <laughs> I would be okay with that.
0: Yeah. a Good time to reach out to Jeanette. Next month might be a different story, but okay. but <laughs> this month is good. So, okay. Good, good, good. Jeanette, thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to share what you know about these areas of development, um, and this diagnosis of dyslexia and executive functioning skills. And, um, we just hope that, you know, what you shared reaches families that, um, need to learn more about this or reaches family so that they can help their child again understand better and then advocate better for their child and all the practitioners that are you know therapists or practitioners that are listening we hope that you take this information and share it with the families that you serve so thank you so much for your time and for being here
1: you are very welcome it was such a pleasure speaking with you and with your audience um I feel like we had a great dialogue and I'm hopeful that this information will have fallen on active ears and people will go out and, and make these necessary changes to um, make sure that their babies and their kiddos are, you know, meeting all of the benchmarks and milestones. (laughs) Absolutely. That's what we hope for too.
0: Yes. Okay. Thank you everyone for listening. And if you like the episode, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes or Podbean. And don't forget to follow us um, on Instagram at Milestones Miracles and on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks. Thanks, Jeanette. Bye-bye.